This week on the Pro Wrestling Podcast, podcast. Mercedes Vernado sets the record straight on leaving WWE for her career in New Japan. Austin Theory gives his thoughts on John Cena. Big Sexy Kevin Nash has vowed to stop watching AEW. And The Undertaker has officially retired the hat and the coat forever. I'm your host Seth Grimes and this is the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. fuck is up everybody welcome come on in to another episode of the pro wrestling podcast podcast i am your boy seth grimes here on a beautiful weekend afternoon enjoying time away from the shoot job brother brother i'm excited i'm all excited to get into this episode this week We got a lot of shit to get into, so I'm not even going to waste any time. We're just going to go ahead and we're going to dive right in, starting with our first topic this week. Mercedes Vernado, a.k.a. Mercedes Money, a.k.a. Sasha Banks, the boss, has addressed the rumors of her leaving the WWE. Some poor soul, some sad fuck some sort of Comic-Con convention type gimmick. Was in a Q&A panel with Sasha, with Mercedes, if you will, baby. And this sad motherfucker had the balls to just say, we all know what happened with you leaving the WWE. And Sasha was very nice about this and very polite, but she was like, You don't know. You don't know shit. All you do is read the dirt sheets and think that you know. Check out this clip of her responding to this and then talking about the reason that she's decided to stay in New Japan. Check out these clips. Um, First of all, nobody knows the story. You don't know the story. You're reading whatever you want to read and believing whatever you want to believe. Nobody knows the story because I haven't said anything. And I'm not going to say anything because that's just the classy boss that I am, the CEO. But one thing, it's up to them, it's up to Dakota and everybody else that wants to come back. That's great for them, that's awesome, that's their dream. But I went after mine, which was going to Japan. You have to follow your heart and follow your soul and follow your dreams. And this was always, always, always a dream of mine that I never got to accomplish. So. As I'm growing in my career, I've, I've been in the WWE for almost 10 years. I had to had a change. I had to feel something different in my heart and my soul. So I had to go after a whole new dream and a whole new chapter and a whole new destiny for me. And this is where I want to be. And this is what I want to make happen for me. So um, that's it. This is, this is, this is what I'm, I'm going for. This is my dream. It's still kind of surreal to me. Like I just, I never expected to be in a different company. (laughs) Um, But I really want to make this something so special and I really want to take this title all over the world and defend it 
everywhere, not just in New Japan, because I'm a, I'm a free agent. I can do whatever I want and be wherever I want, at any time I want, at any company I want. It just depends on the bag. It depends on the bag and not money. Money. I hate the, uh, I don't like the money gimmick. I get it. I understand it. And uh, it probably fits. It's a good fit for her. I just, eh. Everything's about money. You know, she's working it into her answers. I don't know. Depends what the money is, I guess. You know, she was asked on this uh, same interview. Done by Leva Bates, by the way. Miss Blue Pants herself. AEW's right-hand lady. Uh, I got a little bit of a crush on Leva Bates. I got to tell you. She's got that nerdy little horror geek thing going on. It's fucking sexy. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Sasha set the record straight. Mercedes, whatever you want to refer to her as. Um, that she's stay, you know, she's got other aspirations besides the WWE and that we don't know the full story and that we may never know the full story. It may never come out. Um, you know, a lot of times these are pretty accurate for the most part, but it's other people's opinions and hearsay does get worked in the, into it. And we do know for sure. I mean, I can cite countless times that Dave Meltzer, anything he's reporting on, he's adding opinion to it. He's adding his own assumptions to it based on his knowledge, his you know his body, his history in the industry. So he just he assumes things a lot. You know, this was the same guy, for example, who said, "Oh, Mercedes will never sign with AEW because they're going to want to tie her up to a long contract, and she's not going to want to be tied down for that long." and Assumptions. What do you mean? What the fuck do you mean? Oh, they're going to want to. You don't know that. What if Sasha walked in there? Mercedes walked in and talked to Tony. and was like, I can do a year with you and I still want to work New Japan and anywhere else I want to work. Whatever TV shows I want to do, whatever the fuck else I want to do. But I'll be here on Wednesday nights and pay-per-views for a year. And then we'll take a look at it again after that. For six months, I'll come in for a run. I'll work with Britt Baker. Sign it. Why not? Why like? Why does Meltzer assume? So, you know, to do take these things with a grain of salt when you hear on the internet, oh, this is exactly what happened, and this is why Sasha this, and blah, 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 blah. You know, you could tell that she wanted to get a little snippy with that fan that asked that question, but she was composed. She was chill. And uh, look, it has been said. I mean, that's another thing that a Meltzer has reported on and others, you know, is that Mercedes and she's been open about this in interviews that she's always wanted to work for New Japan. She's a fan of the Joshi wrestling. She likes the hard hitting, the toughness, the way that those women were able to main event back in the day, like an Aja Kong, for example. She was huge in Japan. And it's good that New Japan's finally starting to incorporate that in with their show proper. Even though Stardom is a separate promotion, maybe like a SmackDown or an NXT to WWE. You know, it's a separate brand still under the New Japan umbrella. Um, but, you know, they combine them on shows and stuff. I mean, look at the end of that Battle in the Valley show. It was Okada and Mercedes both holding their belts up. So... 
I like what she's doing right now, and this is great for her career. And I know Mercedes has so many haters out there, and I love that too. But this is great for her career to just stay out there, stay relevant, stay fresh, work with new people, work in other promotions, raise her stock, raise her star power value. She's a fucking uh, women's champion in New Japan right now. You don't think that's going to carry some weight when she goes back to the WWE? And she's going to come back fresh so she could get cycled right back into the top spot in WWE when she goes back there. I do think she'll probably end up in AEW at some point. Perhaps. I don't know, actually. I take that back because AEW has been it's been rough lately. And if I were Mercedes, I might want to second guess that for my brand. Um, but I would really want to work with a Britt Baker. And she talked in this uh, interview as well about wanting to work with Mickey James over an impact. So as a free agent, she's free to do those sorts of things. And, and you know, maybe she does just come in for an angle for a, a run with Britt Baker. That would be fun to see in itself. I'd be OK with that. I still would love to see Bailey leave WWE and Bailey and Sasha. You know, I pitched this before that Sasha you know, let's say hypothetically, I have no idea how long Bailey's signed for, but hypothetically, she's got six months, a year left, whatever. Um, <clears throat> Sasha could have her run on the indies as a singles. And then once that starts to wind down and cool off a little bit and it's not as hot and fresh as it was, uh, Bailey comes out and joins her. And then they become like a two woman power trip or a female outsiders. And just fucking terrorize the, the wrestling industry. I, I would like to see that. I would like to see Sasha have a run with Britt Baker at the very least. Uh, I mean, I'm sure she'll have, she could have great matches with a Jamie Hayter. With a Thunder Rosa would be fun. Even see her beat up Soraya would be cool. Um, you know, there's other fun matches to have there. I think all roads do eventually lead back to WWE. You know, they you bring her back in. WWE will hit a point where they're short on main event talent, you know, main event. Oh, who can we bring back to pop a WrestleMania, you know? And uh, just so happens Sasha is available. Maybe she returns at a Rumble. Maybe she just comes back for Mania to face a Charlotte, to face a Rhea, to face whoever the fuck. You know what I mean? So she's she's everything she's doing right now is brilliant she's hot as fuck right now and i don't mean physically though she's fine she's very fine but i mean her career is hot as fuck right now she's got so many options she's got the world at her fingertips and i see nothing but great things for mercedes renato and i'm a huge fan i know the internet hates her and god bless you if you do we're all entitled to our opinion it's just that my opinion is better than yours because i have a microphone so Deal with it. Uh, but for real, I'm just playing. Uh, leave your thoughts down in the comments below. What, what do you think of Mercedes? What do you think of her run outside of WWE right now? Where do you think she's headed? Do you think she'll end up in AEW for a little bit? Or do you think she'll uh, eventually end up back in WWE or both? Let me know down in the comments below. And I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next. Well, The Undertaker has been out making his rounds, doing the podcast beats. He's out promoting his one dead man show, and uh, he's doing the full shoot interview treatment. He was on Chris Van Vliet this week as well, uh, answering a lot of the same questions, telling a lot of the same stories. 
Uh, we'll leave it to Ariel Helwani, of course, one of my all-time favorite interviewers, a guy that asks the tough questions, whether you want to answer them or not. And The Undertaker sat down with him, and he answered those tough questions, and one of which uh, caught me by surprise was that The Undertaker has officially retired the hat and the coat. We will no longer see the dead man version of The Undertaker, the phantom, the zombie, the fucking reaper of wayward souls. That version of The Undertaker is gone seemingly forever. Check out this clip. They had a they had a different vision. They didn't even know that I wasn't I wasn't gonna have the the hat and coat. Oh really? Yeah, no, they 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 were they were totally thought that I was coming oh, wow. old Undertaker. And I was like, no, it's, and that's that's see, that's part of me and the storytelling, right? When I lifted the curtain, when I lifted it back yeah. and pulled it back, then that's gone. It's wow. gone now. So you're 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 done with that? I won't I won't bring the hat and coat back out. No. Never. And, and not a one off of WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Why do you feel that way again? Because again, I like so when I did when I went to the American Badass earlier, there was a there was kind of a kind of an event that happened. I went away, you know, I was injured, and then I came back, and then I I had that new presentation, and then the same thing when I went away again, which was something really big that kind of put me back into that under that you know old school undertaker right. kind of mindset um, again with me now that I'm you know people know that you know I can talk and that I have you know actual thoughts that aren't <laughs> revolved around you know digging holes and taking souls I think you know that character it will will live forever in our memory but I don't think that I can I can bring it back you know after you know after the last ride, after the any biography, after doing all these shows, I just like it works. So what? We only get the fucking biker taker from now on. That's what we're left with. The American badass, dead man walking. And fucking Kid Rock bullshit. I'll take Fred Durst over Kid Rock. Let's let's bring back the fucking. Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Can I get copyrighted for singing? Keep rolling, 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 rolling. Yeah. I'm Fred Durst guy. I like Fred Durst. Limp Biscuit. $3 bill, y'all is a fresh fucking record. I don't care what anybody says. Permanent, permanent statement. Is that what the second one was? That was a good one, too. Did it all for the nookie? You can't fucking tell me that you weren't a Limp Biscuit fan at some point. I digress. The Undertaker, hat and coat, gone forever. I get it. I get where he's coming from. He's not that character anymore. He's broken that character. With the Hall of Fame speech, he kind of came out of the proverbial dead man closet and, and showed that he's actually a real human being and not some sort of phantom reaper of the wwe the the living breathing conscience of the wwe um i get it i understand why he would want to do that i i hope that's not true though i hope we haven't seen the last because 
you know, he's talked about it, and it was either maybe this interview or the one with Chris Van Vliet or any of the other 7,000 interviews that he's done recently, that he doesn't want to just be the guy that comes out and does the fucking rolls the eyes in the back of his head and choke slams a guy and fucking that's it. But honestly, he could do that for fucking 20 more years. I mean, guys can get themselves up for a choke slam, and the fans would accept this of The Undertaker. You get a fucking WrestleMania moment from the dead man coming down the aisle one more time to just fucking goozle a guy. He'd just become 9-11. You know, the ECW 9-1-1, the fucking enforcer guy, you know, the guy just come out and beat the shit out of people. It's all you got to do. You know, some some fools in the ring talking trash. You know, whoever's the hot up and coming heel. You know, he gets a, he gets a promo. He's on the mic and he, he's just tearing everybody up like in L.A. Night, like they did on Raw. But get a guy like L.A. Night in there to talk a bunch of trash. Undertaker comes down in the hat and coat, and apparently that's what they wanted to do for Raw Thirty, and it just Taker wasn't having it. And who's gonna argue with the Undertaker? Honestly, are you gonna tell the Undertaker that he has to? You know, it's funny that he does tell stories uh, about arguing with Vince McMahon. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, beyond Vince McMahon, nobody really, nobody ever has the balls to tell The Undertaker a damn thing. (laughs) You know, people respect the dead man. So uh, if he comes to Raw and he says, nope, I'm not wearing the hat and coat ever a goddamn again. Does that mean we don't get the dead man music then, too? I mean, because he can't come out on a motorcycle in a backwards fucking trucker hat to the fucking to the dead man phantom music. Right. So I hope it's not the end of it, but I do understand. and, And it's the Undertaker's prerogative at this point. Nobody can overrule him. Vince McMahon himself. Probably couldn't even make that choice for the taker at this point. But uh, what are your thoughts? Let me know down in the comments below. Do you think it's fitting that the hat and the coat are retired with the Undertaker as a career? Or do you think he absolutely should go back on that and be open to just coming out and choke slamming fools? Because, look, there's no shame in that to me. That does, It's not. He's such a character that. It's not a thing where, oh, if he can't go 110% in the ring, then he shouldn't be out there anymore. He can come do a segment where he just chokeslams a motherfucker. It'll take zero to no effort, and you're going to get a monster reaction, and the fans are going to be happy. Look, if I've never been to a WWE show, of all the WWE shows I've been to, I've only seen The Undertaker's entrance uh, twice, maybe? Maybe three times. I don't know. Um... But there's something so special about it. It's an attraction in itself. It's an attraction. And I don't think The Undertaker is the same without it. You know, I I would not be as excited to see the American badass Undertaker. I'm sorry. I'm going to a show and I just get the dead man walking. He rolls out in a motorcycle. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's cool. The Undertaker was there, but it wasn't The Undertaker. You know, there's a giant difference between the two. So I think he absolutely should rethink that. But who the fuck am I to say? Just a nerd in my basement yelling at a microphone. But yeah, leave your thoughts 
in the comments below and let me know what you think about that whole thing. Is he right? Is he making the right decision? Or do we need our motherfucking dead man? We got another good clip from the Ariel Helwani meets interview with The Undertaker this week as uh, Undertaker addressed the ending of the streak. Now, The Undertaker has been vocal about this before. We have heard that if it was up to him, he would not have ended the streak or maybe not to Brock. But I don't know that we've actually heard it in as much detail as we have here in this clip Check out this clip, and we'll catch you on the backside. Were you ever close to, to losing prior to that? Were there ever any close calls that happened the day of as well that we don't um, know about? Never that, that got to me. Okay. Um, by the time that we got to WrestleMania, it was, you know, I pretty much knew um, what was going to go down. But, yeah, there was, there was a few people, I guess, that, uh, that, were, that he wanted to, to break the streak. Really? Yeah. Who's uh, Kozlov? He wanted him to come on. Yeah, really? Well, it was early <laughs> on. It was early Jeez, on. He maybe thought he should be good. happy that it ended. Yeah, the way he did. and I think he wanted. Uh, I think he wanted Edge. Really? Uh, to go over. Edge refused. Refused. Yeah. Wow. He said no. I can't do it. Why? He just. He that's how much he he respected the streak and and me and you know what he thought. He would. He thought that streak streak meant to the business. You know. Uh, yeah. Did you Did you know that? I didn't know it at the time. Wow. No, I didn't know that till years after. Did and, you talk to him about it? Oh yeah. I mean, it's just. That's incredible. Yeah. No, really. I mean, that just says a lot about right. you know human being he is. But I mean, he he, he edge grasped how important um, you know the streak had become, mm -hmm. and you know he just didn't. He said, I, I don't want that. I don't, I don't think it's the right thing, and I, he just didn't. He said no. Should Brock have said the same? Uh, I mean, I, you know, I, it's hard to say, man. You, I mean, you, this is a, this is, a, you know, I, I don't think Brock needed it. I think Brock, you know, Brock was a was a major attraction. He was, a, you know, a star, and he was he was made. I don't know that it. It enhanced him anymore. I, I think it would have been great for Roman if it hadn't have been if Brock hadn't already done it. Right. It would have been a huge thing for Roman, but I don't I don't know that it that it meant the same to to Brock as it would have meant to Roman or anybody else who'd have done it because Brock was already you know Brock had already been there. Brock had already gone off to UFC and Brock had you know he had already had all these major accomplishments and I don't think that it elevated his his. Uh, you know, his stardom, like it, it could have helped somebody else. Did you, even till the very end, did you fight it? I, you know, I didn't fight it as much as I, I, I didn't, I, I always had that belief that I don't think that, that Brock needed it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we, I had just, you know, one last, when I got there that day, I was still going over. Wow, that is wild. Yeah, and then it, it's, you know, it's in the early afternoon, and um, I, I remember sitting in the dressing room, and Vince came in, and I knew as soon as he came in, I knew what it was. Like, he's changed the finish. And I was like, I just, you know, I basically, I, I give him, you know, I give him my spiel and, and what I thought, and... Uh, Which was no, right? Well, it wasn't no for the sake of not sure. wanting to do the job. Right. It was no in the sense that I didn't feel like Brock needed it. Right. And, you know, and... Vince's counter to that was like, if, 
If not Brock, who does? Right? Who 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 beats you? You know, right? He Vince could sell ice to an Eskimo. Sure, sure, I sure. mean, you know, he's this. But I I just I just brought up as you know as many points as that I thought like looking long term down the road, and Vince is you know you know his deal too was like who who down the road, right? You don't know at that point, you know, I'm year to year now. Right. Like, I don't know when I'm going to, you know, I'm going to pull the trigger and say enough's enough. So, you know, I, I think he wanted to make sure that he, he got that. You know, I don't think he ever envisioned that character riding off into the sunset with a, you know, with a perfect record. Really? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't. Did you? Mm, no. I, I always why, thought. Why couldn't it have? I mean, it, 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 it could have, but that's just not how that's just not how it works. I love that. Not even the Undertaker could out argue Vince. He can't even put his foot down and just be like, "Nope, I'm not doing it." If Vince says he wants it, then that's what he wants. If not now, when? If not Brock, who? Well. Taker thought Roman would have been a good choice for that. I don't know that Roman at that time would have been accepted as the man to end the streak. Um, He was being pushed down our throats at the time. People did not like Roman Reigns. Uh, There was recently a a post on somewhere on the internet. Who fucking knows? Uh, But it was a meme basically showing like the old ECW arena maybe like a one-night stand or something. It was like if Roman wrestled in front of this crowd, he'd be terrified or some shit like that. And the crowd would eat him alive. Something like that. And I had made a comment. Like, no, the crowd would fucking love Roman Reigns because they're all wrestling. That's the markiest of the marky marks. You know what I mean? They're wrestling nerds. And right now, Roman Reigns is in God mode. This Roman Reigns ending the streak? Of course, no question. Absolutely. Roman Reigns with the vest and the fucking shield music. Dun-inch, 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 People hated that fucking guy. That was Vince's. Remember they put the blue contacts in his eyes and shit? Vince, Vince's, that was Vince's little fucking hard on for a while. And he was bound and determined to make him his biggest star. And he was right. God damn it, Vince wasn't right. He knows his shit. He knows his shit. He chose every top guy he's chosen. Same with Cena. Remember, we got Cena crammed down our throats. Now we all look back fondly on John Cena. We all look back at Cena's run for the most part. I'm sure there's still some of you out there that are like, meh, Cena sucks. But I think we all pretty much have a very solid respect for John Cena at this point. And, and Roman Reigns now, God mode. But, uh, you know, back then, I don't know that they would have accepted the Undertaker, him beating the Undertaker, ending the streak. God knows they didn't really accept Brock doing it either, but at least Brock was believable, and really there was nobody else. Roman would have been the guy, but the fans would have poo-pooed that probably harder than they did Brock. I think uh, that would have they would that would have backfired on Roman, and that would have bit Roman in the ass and followed him for a long time. You know, we, he would have needed to be that heel in God mode to to really uh, get the most out of doing that. This Roman ending that streak, wow. 
that would have been fucking powerful and magic. And look, Roman got the win the next year, but it, it just wasn't the same at that point, you know. And the crowd didn't care because he had already Taker had already lost the streak, so it was just like, ah, eh, it wasn't a big deal that he lost again now. <clears throat> but it was shocking when Brock did it. They got a moment out of it. I don't know that it didn't do anything for Brock. It didn't make Brock's career. It didn't make anybody's career. And I think that's what was lost in it. And I, that's what Taker was hoping. He doesn't, he's also said, look, I, I don't think that the Undertaker should have always gone undefeated. And a lot of people do think that many people, wrestlers, pundits, fucking journalists, a lot of people have commented, YouTubers just, a lot of people think that the Taker should have held on to his undefeated streak because he's the Undertaker. But the Undertaker himself, he's so old school, he's so by the book that he knew he had to do the job at some point and he wanted to. He just didn't think that that was the time to do it or that Brock was the guy to do it. <clears throat> uh, in hindsight, it might have been the right call because the Undertaker was losing steam quickly too. And, you know, if we would have waited for God mode Roman Reigns to come around, per se, Taker would have been a shell of his form. He wouldn't have been able to have a fucking presentable match with Roman Reigns at that point. Roman would have needed to squash him, which would have maybe been more effective even. Uh, but, you know, it wouldn't have had the same kind of luster. Not that Brock and Taker had a great match either, but that's because Brock or Taker was concussed. <laughs> but it was, fuck, man. That was a moment for sure. That was one of the most memorable WrestleMania moments. Certainly in recent history, like, I don't think anybody will forget the streak has ended. You know, Michael Cole's call. The streak has ended. <clears throat> Uh, <laughs> that look on Taker's face, you see it in the, uh, in the, in the thumbnail there, um, <laughs> Taker's face and then the 21 and one up on the screen. It was the fans that, that guy in the front row, the bug eyed guy and just the shock. I mean, we were all there. We were all like, what? I was having a WrestleMania, like watch along party and, and people, I, I wasn't having, I was at somebody's whatever. It doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> but people thought it like it was an accident, you know, the referee accident, the guy not kick out quick enough. What the fuck happened? Uh, but, you know, Vince makes a call. That's what it is. Uh, but what do you think? Who should have ended the Undertaker streak? When should have the Undertaker streak ended? And should it have ended at all? Uh, I guess, you know, as I think this through and I talk this through, I think... That might have been prime time to do it because The Undertaker wasn't going to be physically capable of having many other great matches after that. No great matches after that, really. He was on the downward slope. So it would have had to been some kind of squash. It would have had to been a little bit of smoke and mirrors to it. Um, but I think unless you get to the God mode, at least to a heel Roman Reigns, even early in his heel run, but once he turns heel, which was what, just another year, two years even, was Roman a heel when he beat The Undertaker? I think he might have been. Um, maybe that would have been the time to pull the trigger, but you certainly got a moment out of Brock, and uh, 
You know, I would have gave it to a heel Roman Reigns personally, not the babyface Roman Reigns. And 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 you know, Brock was probably the second best guy to do it because there's nobody else on the roster. What are you gonna give fucking Seth Rollins and the streak? Are you kidding me? Austin Theory, a town down, I beat the Undertaker. No, <laughs> who who gets it? Drew McIntyre, like come go fuck yourself. You know what I mean? Bray Wyatt, no. So. I don't know. You could debate it all day. Maybe you should have never, ever lost it. But let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. And I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next. Well, it's clear by the ratings that not everybody that's a wrestling fan watches AEW. No surprise there. But... Apparently, Kevin Nash is amongst those people, and apparently he just felt the urge to make this known on his podcast, completely unprompted, completely out of nowhere. Matter of fact, they were talking about smoking weed or being high or eating edibles or some shit like that, and Kevin Nash talking about being a high on, you know, some just talking about being high as fuck and then just goes... By the way, I don't fucking watch AEW. Fuck that shit. Check out this clip. Uh, thank you, know you for the feedback, I, everybody. I, I just want—I just want to go on record that I have not watched AEW in months. That you have not watched AEW. Have not watched. And you—and this is genuine when you say this. No, genuine's a, a black R&B singer. This is Kevin Nash. Okay. So, uh, well, you could have put it on if you want. I mean, it's there. No, we see it goes back to Steve Austin and I got a pat that he's not watching it. Therefore, I'm not watching it. And what I can tell by Twitter is Taker's. Now not watching it. He's not watching it either. Taker's not, wa Taker's not watching. So that, you know, and it's nothing against any of the talent over there. Anybody that, that does anything over there, it's just something that we decided. It's like Lent. We just, you got you have to give things up. Mm -hmm. And so we did that, so. Yet uh, Twitter maybe was a buzz with that. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't change the fact that Kenny Omega is my favorite wrestler, and should be. So Nash doesn't watch. Neither does Stone Cold Steve Austin. Neither does the Undertaker. And apparently, I even saw a couple marks on the internet posting. Well, if if if, if the Undertaker doesn't watch, and Stone Cold doesn't watch, if Kevin Nash doesn't watch AEW, then I don't watch AEW either. I mean, did 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 WWE make you guys millionaires too? Multi-millionaires? You know, I mean, I can see their sense of loyalty to one company over the other. You know, does your best friend run creative for the rival company? Hmm. Or are you just you just being a mark? Being a marky mark. Look, 
I don't understand this mentality and I never will of, you know, I, I get them to a certain extent, as you can clearly see, you know, my point that WWE made these guys household names, made them very, very independently wealthy, gave them all kinds of options in their career. And in the case of Kevin Nash, they even have close personal friends at the highest of levels in WWE. So, of course, their loyalty is going to lie with the WWE. And they're not going to support the AEW product. I get it. I understand. For the rest of you, and, and look, even though I get it, I think that's stupid still. I really do. But for the rest of you out there, look, man, we got to quit this tribalism shit. Wrestling is wrestling. Support wrestlers out there doing wrestling. Now, AEW is a different style. And I get people that like the WWE storytelling and the creativeness and, and all of that over the AEW's more heavier on just in-ring match stuff, you know, and blood and technical and all that kind of shit. And their stories are just kind of half-ass. Um, so I get all that. I really do. But I think there's a large contingency of people out there that just feel the need to just try to bury a product just because, you know, fuck AEW because fuck AEW, you know what I mean? Fuck WWE, man, AEW for life. Uh, there's no need for that kind of tribalism. If you prefer one product over the other, that's fine. Fair enough. You know, wrestling is art. It's subjective. Everybody likes it for a different reason. Some people like the sports like realism. You always hear Jim Cornette ranting about, oh, this is that fake phony bullshit. It's got to be got to be fucking it's got to be as realistic as possible, as close to UFC style as possible. And then you got the people that like the flippy floppy fly fucking triple A fucking trios fucking luchador style shit where everybody's just kind of bing banging around and doing flippy floppies. Uh, people like the storytelling, like the bloodline, one of the greatest storylines in wrestling history, the greatest of our era, no doubt. But for every one of those, you get another stupid storyline, too, you know, like Bray Wyatt's fucking bullshit, you know? So they can't all be winners, even in the WWE. You get AEW, and that's where you're going to see, I mean, take a look at any Brian Danielson match that he's had, and you fucking, you it's a technical, wizardly master class. Bloody, violent. You're only going to get that in AEW in the American system. So everybody brings something different to the table. I just don't understand the tribalism. I don't understand why Kevin Nash feels the need to publicly. Like, I guess I do. Like I said, his but, but one of his best friends is Hunter and, and, and that sort of thing. I But... Why Why do we got to bury, why do we got to spend time burying AEW on our podcast for no reason? Now this is just inspiring all these other morons to be like, yeah, I'm going to boycott AEW too. Give it up like Lent, Kevin Nash says. And why Steve Austin? I mean, I, I mean, again, part of it I get. Like, WWE has made Steve who he is. So why would he give any time and attention to AEW? But at the same time, back when he was doing his podcast, he had Tony Khan on the podcast. He interviewed Tony Khan. He interviewed fucking MJF. He's had uh, Chris Jericho on the Broken Skull session as an AEW roster. 
roster member talking about AEW. So I, I, I just don't know. I don't know where it all comes from. I wish there wasn't so much tribalism in wrestling. Tribalism in general, if you go anywhere, you know, it's the political stuff too. It's movies even now, you know, everybody's got an opinion on these Marvel movies and TV shows and it, it, you can't go anywhere without there some, being some sort of beef, some sort of tribalism, some sort of my side's better than your side. And I think we can all just do better, except that, you know, people have different tastes and there's different things and we don't need to put our own fucking hatred and vile into it, you know. Or, or even just a burial. Like, Nash wasn't hating on AEW, but he certainly didn't do AEW any favors here. Uh, how good does that make AEW look when he's he's making a fucking joke, a mockery of it? And plus, he just volunteered that info. This wasn't a fan question. Hey, Cav, do you watch AEW? Do you follow any of the talent there? To which a fair answer would be no. You know what? I, I just out of support for WWE. But no, he's talking about eating fucking edibles. And he's just like, you know what? I stopped at watching AEW, too. Because you, you just got to give shit up like Lent. You know, he's making a mockery of it. He's like, he's he's belittling them. That's 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 a that's how how the click does. That's their type of uh, it's like a, something Triple H would say too. You know, it's it's so beneath them. It just the the anyway, you get what I'm saying. So I feel like that kind of shit. At least Steve Austin, for example, or an Undertaker isn't publicly saying this kind of shit. We can do better. Let's do better as fans. Let's let's you can like what you like, but let's leave the hatred out of it. Let's let's leave the fuck this company out of it. Let's just like what we like and you can put that over and you can sing its praises. But if you're spending energy on trying to take the piss out of another company just because you don't like it, you're kind of being a douchebag and you're contributing to the problem. A town down, I'm a Chad douche. A town down, yeah, 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 yeah. Austin Theory was on after the bell this week. He's a Chad douchebag. That's his character. He's trying to be on purpose. So don't fucking hate me. But uh, I'm not, not, not the biggest Austin Theory fan. Less. Austin Theory was on after the bell though, and after he was. Pretty much torn to shreds on Monday Night Raw by John Cena. And he's had some time to think about it and lick his wounds. He thought after the bell was the perfect opportunity to fire back. Not to John Cena's face on live TV, but to fire back on the podcast. And of course, I believe this was in character, obviously, to a certain extent to promote WrestleMania with maybe a pinch of truth mixed in. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure the fans' reactions get to him a little bit. I'm sure he's salty about that. Um, but certainly a little bit of a fire, sounds like, has been lit under the ass of Austin Theory after the uh, complete and total destruction, the emasculation of Austin Theory by John Cena. Check out this clip of Austin Theory on After the Bell with Corey Drake. Corey, Corey, the Corey guy. The Corey at the desk with the thing, with the tattoos. Check out this clip. What just happened with John Cena, you know? Everybody online's like, you're buried, you're done, you're finished. I'm like, you guys are idiots. You really are. I mean, yes, John Cena needs to say everything he can 
because he's going to go back to Hollywood until WrestleMania and go put his skirt and heels on. So, you know, that's, that's why he has to say all those mean things. He's got to say everything he can. And I'm sure he thought about that for a really long time. I mean, he did say he's been watching me for a long time, didn't he? He sure did. And KP theory wasn't just throwing insults there. That photo is floating around the interwebs of seeing wearing a skirt and heels. I don't know the context. I'm not sure what it's about, but that wasn't just a random insult. I could have stood out there and I could have, you know, broke down, but I didn't. I stood in the ring with John Cena. I looked him right in his face. He said what he had to say. And it seems like he's really, really upset. But me, not so much. Did you get that vibe when you were were standing that close to him face to face? You could see him look him dead in his eyes. You you felt that? Corey, I'll tell you this, man. I, I looked that man in his eyes and I seen it. I seen the fear, you know, and this is John Cena, man. The guy that never gives up. The man that's not afraid of anything. And I could see it because it's, you know, he, he can say, oh, the, the ruthless aggression era, that's where you're at. Dog, what are you talking about? I'm shining. I'm, I'm doing it. It's, it's definitely not the ruthless aggression era. And, and a trunks, uh, he said, I'm, I'm one pair of trunks away from being a jabroni. That's, that's, what, you, that's what you showed up to, to my show to say to me. That's what you wanted to say. And it's like, I'm just standing out there because I'm pretty speechless. I'm like, wow, this is the guy that I grew up watching, that motivated me, that inspired me, that knows this. And he's out here in front of his home crowd and he's just trying to be cool. At WrestleMania, man, they're, those same people from Boston, they're not going to be there. They're not. You know who's going to be there, though? My family. And they're going to watch me whoop his ass. It was like every time, uh, you know, Cena wanted to take a hit at me, man. It was just like... Man, I I get it, man. Like, but it's over. It's it's the inevitable, man. It's that simple. This is crazy to me. Austin's young enough to have grown up watching John Cena. Isn't that insane? Think about that. When John Cena was doing Thugonomics, Austin Theory was eating fucking Fruity Pebbles. You know what I mean? That's insane. Uh, I'm actually excited for this match. I do like these generational matches like this. I don't know that this is necessarily a passing of the torch. I wouldn't give Austin Theory that much credit quite yet. Though, look, I mean, look at the guy. He's absolutely a a future big-time star. Like, he's not going anywhere, and his best years are ahead of him, you know? So, yes, for anybody that's burying Austin Theory, oh, he's since Vince left, or, oh, Jacina tore him to shreds, like... Theory's going to have a fantastic little career and stuff like this, these kind of matches. You know, some WrestleMania matches don't make sense. Omos and Brock Lesnar, history will look back on that and go, what the fuck happened there? Bobby Lashley is or was going to face Bray Wyatt. History look back on that and go, why was why was that a match? You know, why do things like that, you know, didn't Kane had a weird Kane and Kurt Angle had a match I think, right, on a WrestleMania. It's like Where did that come from, you know? Uh, So there are those kind of weird, weirdo one-off matches, but then you get these 
these generational matches where you get like a, a star from the previous generation, like a John Cena. And again, maybe not a passing the torch per se, but definitely a giving a rut, like an Austin theory, having a WrestleMania matchup with a guy like John Cena is huge. Cause Theory's going to be around a long time. And when he looks back at his WrestleMania career, when historians and fans look back at his career, they're going to see matches like that, that he, wrestled fucking john cena at wrestlemania early in his career before he was the megastar i think series i think theory's got to run as a world champion ahead of him look his body is fantastic this fucking dude is chiseled he's a sexy man i'm not even afraid to say it you know what i mean he's a good looking dude he's got he's okay in the ring. He's not the greatest of all time ever, but he's got, I mean, he'll get there. You know, he doesn't suck and he's, his best years are ahead of him. He's still learning and growing and getting better. And look, he's going to be just fine. He's got the look. He's got the character, the charisma. He's hateable. He's a douchebag, Chad. Um, right now he is at the level that I think he, you know, he's an intercontinental level guy right now, but we've all grown up seeing these intercontinental level guys become main eventers and he's still growing into his skin and working with these top level veterans. Like he's going to learn a lot in there with a John Cena, just doing this program, even standing in that ring with John Cena he learned something. He learned something about himself. He learned something about the business. And, and you know, he's going to come out of this better than he went into it. It's a good little rub for him. And uh, I like this kind of stuff, using the podcast platform and stuff to further the angle. Uh, I don't necessarily like in-character interviews all the time, but I think... It's a good way for Theory to kind of get a rep and get more long form character work out rather than just the, the short amount of time that he gets in a promo. But uh, I, it's worth a listen. It's worth a listen, though. I, I pretty much, you know, if you're an Austin Theory fan, I guess, especially he's in character. Uh, if that bugs you or not, um, but I think I kind of plucked out the main meat and potatoes of the situation is what he had to say about John Cena. I and mean, it was, you know, a good little clap back for, for theory, but a little too little too late in my opinion. But this will be a fun little angle, and uh, this is a good little match for theory, and this should be a career booster for him. But what are your thoughts? Do you like Austin Theory? Is he a Chad douchebag? Is he both? Does he have a big future in this business? Are you excited for the match, or do you think Cena should have faced somebody else? Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next. Ah, yes, the infamous fireball in professional wrestling. We've seen it used over the years. Uh, most famously, maybe, was Hulk Hogan and Yokozuna. There was a fireball that shot out of the camera at Hulk Hogan's face. Missed him by a mile, but he took the bump anyway and got defeated by that dastardly, evil Yokozuna. Uh, one of my favorite memories as a kid with fireballs. It was my one of my earliest, earliest memories. I don't know about favorite, but certainly one of my earliest imprinted memories of professional wrestling was 
global something was a global wrestling federation was whatever the one that had like the lightning kid in it and jeff jarrett and hot stuff eddie gilbert and i remember hot stuff eddie gilbert throwing a fireball and that shit was fucking imprinted on me the fireball the I've always wanted Bill to do that since. In fact, I've even looked into it, you know, like the magician's fucking fire paper or whatever, the the flash paper. It just burns up so quick. You know, it's not going to, by the time it gets to your face, it's, it's basically disintegrated into smoke, but it makes a big Anyway, uh, giving away the magic of it, but it's been used over the years, years of course. Uh, currently, Chris Jericho, the wizard. Chris Jericho throws fireballs in people's faces. Always good fun. But where did the fireball come from? That was the topic of discussion on Talk is Jericho this week as the author of a new book about the original Sheik. Brian Simmons was on Talk is Jericho this week talking about the book. And in the book, talking about the origin of the fireball. Starting with the original Sheik. Check out this clip. Um, you mentioned throwing fireballs, and obviously I am a wizard. So um, I've thrown a few fireballs over the last few years, actually over the last year. But was the Sheik the first guy to, to bring a fireball into pro wrestling, as far as you know? He was. He actually was the first. He, You know, the funny thing is wow. they called him the original Sheik, but he wasn't the original Sheik. There were other wrestling Sheiks before him. But he was the first person to do the fire. Apparently, he got it from, you know, it was, a, it was an old magic trick. And in the early years, because later on, they didn't even have Bic lighters in the, in the 60s, right? They hadn't even been invented yet. So, <laughs> so he had like a magician's trick. They would have this, I don't know how to describe it, but this thing you would- Like flint? Yeah, but you'd wear it on your fingers. It would be like an apparatus yeah. so that you could- move your fingers together and you'd create a, a spark like it was really really cool you know magicians would do it and then he you know he'd have the flash paper and i think I, I have this in the book there but he also taught the only person he ever officially taught how to do it and officially said you can do it is jerry lawler oh wow yeah he taught lawler lawler was kind of a rookie in memphis and they had crossed paths in tennessee and they had a few matches and and he taught him how to do it. But there were a lot of other guys that did it, including people like Great Mephisto. I think Skandor Akbar used to do it. But these were guys that had no offense to them, but they were copying him. They were copying his act. Wow. He wasn't always thrilled about it, but Lawler had his official uh, stamp of approval. I don't know if he would have given it to you if he were here. You know, <laughs> Actually, one of the shows you guys did, if I'm not mistaken, when you did that, was in Detroit or in the area. And I remember tweeting something about it, like fireballs flying in Detroit once again or something like that. <laughs> well, it's interesting because for me, like I won't do that unless it's like a backstage segment, just in case I, I don't trust it live. Right. But Sheik's throwing those things live. Then you mentioned the one <laughs> kid said that you missed the one fireball and she got so angry at him. He threw a fireball at the kid while he was driving. Yes, Tommy Dreamer told me that story. They brought the Sheik into the ECW arena one time. <laughs> one time, and it was it was Sheik and Taz against uh, Kevin Sullivan. and um, It was someone of prominence. I can't remember. Pat Tanaka. Pat Tanaka. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Sheik uh, basically couldn't even, again, he couldn't get in the ring. 
So the whole match was outside the ring, running around the arena, you know, stabbing Kevin Sullivan, hitting him with the ring hammer and all this stuff. He threw a fireball. It missed by a country mile. And there was a fan that was driving them back to the hotel. So it's like Tommy Dreamer, Sabu, Sheik in the car and this fan who's driving them. And the fan said something to the effect of like, boy, you're, you know, I, I really loved seeing you tonight, even though you, you missed the fireball, but that's OK. That's OK. And Sabu is back there going like, don't say that. Listen, you do not say that. <laughs> and he turned. And this is the guy who's driving them. Tommy said they were going over a bridge <laughs> and he threw a fireball right at the guy. And he said the Sheik said something like, did I miss that time? Or something like that. So he, he took it very, uh, very, very personal. Yeah, yeah. His fireball acumen. Solomon, Brian Solomon, not Simmons. You fuck. Call yourself a journalist. God damn you, Brian Solomon. My deepest apologies to you, sir, and to you folks out there listening. Brian Solomon was the author of this book, Fire and Blood. About the original Sheik, the uh, the uh, Sabu's fucking uncle, Sabu the Elephant Boy. Um, I've just always loved the fucking fireball, man. I like that kind of magic in wrestling. Uh, the original Sheik too. What a fucking few people in wrestling carry that aura over the years of just fucking scary and dangerous people. Uh, you. And, and it, that allure was more prominent in people that went to Japan. The Japanese kind of sold for those people more, or they were able to get away with more with the Japanese people. You know, you get like a fucking uh, Stan Hansen out there just swinging the fucking bull rope around and shit, hitting people in the head. Bruiser Brody, he's going nuts out there. Uh, Abdullah the Butcher was another guy that scared the shit out of people. And right up there with him was the original Sheik. That guy came out. He'd stab people in the fucking head with forks. He'd throw fire at them. Or he'd just have a sword. He's swinging a sword around. This guy was insane. And apparently he always kept kayfabe. Never broke that shit. Um, even referred to by his pastor as Sheik. As the Sheik. Uh, living the gimmick, brother, brother, uh, to the point where this guy who wrote the book said that his family wouldn't even talk to him about the Sheik's career for the book to keep kayfabe. Maybe they don't even know. Maybe he kayfabed them. I like to kayfabe my kids. My kids still, I got a scar on my head from getting stabbed with a fork, and uh, my kids still think I got stabbed with a fork legit. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know the matter. I'm not going to tell them how it happens. Uh, but it was fun. It was fun to uh, get stabbed in the head with a fork. Look, it's good to uh, learn a little bit about the original Sheik. I think these kind of people are good for our history. I think it's good to keep these people's names in the spotlight as much as possible. These people should not be forgotten to time. You know, people that love hardcore matches, death matches. Look, we just saw Hangman Page and, and John Moxley just grind forks into each other's faces and shit. And a lot that actually got a lot of criticism. People are kind of over all that blood and gut shit. I think it's more virtue signaling, to be honest with you. I think people that don't like, like, how can you like wrestling and be like, oh, I don't want to see blood, too much blood. Now, 
Too much blood is, you know, people can't overuse it. Certainly John Moxley does, and it doesn't mean anything. When Moxley gets busted open, it's just like, eh, busted open. So I get it to that extent. But there's a lot of you out there, too, that just like to virtue signal about it. Oh, he's too violent. Oh, it's so violent. Wrestling's supposed to be violent. It's fucking people fighting. Sometimes when you're fighting, you stab people in the heads with forks. Look, it's been a thing throughout history. That's what I'm trying to tell you. That's why it's important that people like the original Sheik are continually brought up within our culture here within the pro wrestling zeitgeist. And uh, this was a fun little interview on Talk is Jericho about the original Sheik, about the kayfabe, about the blood, about the fire. About the time the original Sheik almost died in the ring that was set on fire like a flaming barbed wire death match over in Japan that damn near fucking that did, I think, you know, it certainly burned the original Sheik badly. But uh, I think it, didn't they say he 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 had to go to the hospital after? I don't know exactly what happened, but it was bad, bad. So um, fun little interview. Highly recommend it. Uh, only if you're into that kind of deep dive though, you know, I certainly am. I'm a fucking nerd. You know, you're not going to get anything major or super topical out of this by any stretch, but if you have an interest in learning about these kind of characters from our past, look, the original Sheik was a trendsetter in the business for sure. He was a heel that never lost, never lost. That's a fucking word. Still, still call yourself a journalist, huh? Getting people's names, lost. He very rarely lost as a heel, which is a rare thing. He fucking played with fire. He played with blood. People weren't really sure how to read him, what to think about him. He was believable all the way through. And that kind of shit uh, just fucking gets my wrestling dick hard. So if it gets your wrestling dick hard, highly recommend. If not, you can skip it. No big deal. But I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next. We're the Mounties. We always get our man. Jacques Rougeau was on Storytime with Dutch Mantel this week, talking with good old Dutch, talking about Canadian wrestling, some good old Canadian wrestling boys. And Jacques was asked, you know, about the current product, about the Zami Zayn there in Quebec. The fans fucking going insane for this man. Jacques's like, ah, don't really watch the shit anymore. Don't, not really familiar with the Sami Zayn, but I do know Kevin Owens. And then he uh, proceeded to shoot on Kevin a little bit here. Go ahead and check out this clip. Kevin Owens, Kevin Steen, when he came to my school, he was 14 years old. <clears throat> and, I, and his daddy had to sign for so him. So you, you trained Kevin Owens? From 14 years old to 18 years old. For four years, I showed him how to walk, to crawl, and how to dance and how really? to talk. Yeah, for four years. He never did anything else but work in, uh, exclusively with me for four years. From 14 to 18 years old, he was my student. Well, and I then, didn't know that. Yeah, uh, and then we, had a, then we had a falling out because in my company at the time, because I was away from Vince and I was in fighting with Vince and I wanted to be completely different than Vince, my guys that worked with me had to work with me only. And, and, and it was exclusive. But the thing was good about that, it was like all my shows in Quebec, the last 20 years before COVID, they were all sold out. So that was the reason. But Kevin Owens, 
He was such a great wrestler, a great student. He learned so fast. He was always ahead of everybody. Like, you know, every time I teach lessons, he was always running ahead of me. I'd say, Kevin, slow down. I said, you know, the others got to follow too. The others got to follow too. And then at a, there came a point after four years of working with me, he just gave me his notice. He says, no, nope, I want to go wrestle somewhere else. I said, okay, good luck. And that was the last time I talked to him. I never talked to him since. I never had a word with him, hello or nothing. I only Very, heard him bad mouthing my school and, and stuff like that. But I, I never, I never had a bad word with the kid. I was the kid was such a lovable kid. You know, the kid mm -hmm. when he came to see me at 14 years old, he would be like, a, how can you say that? A, a get close to the the boss there and be nice and mm -hmm. always be nice. He was that kind of guy for 14, 18 years old. His dad was so nice. His mom was so nice. You know, so so he was like. And then at 18 years old, when he he left, he just. He, he just changed completely his opinion on me. So he must have been holding it in for four years. <laughs> but, so, so what, what, he doesn't like you now? No, he doesn't like me. He really wow. bad. He, well, I don't know. He, and I don't know, to be honest with you, because I never talked bad about him. And I was doing my business like the way it was. And if he didn't like my business, you leave, you go somewhere else. I'm not holding you. I'm not handcuffing you. I'm just saying that in my company, it works like that. And he should have respected that. And he should respect that because he learned how to crawl with me. And he learned how to walk with mm -hmm. me. And he learned how to dance and run with you me. You changed his diapers. I did for sure. And I told him how to do a microphone <laughs> and do an interview on the mic. I yeah. showed him all that stuff. He should only have recognition for me today, Kevin Owens. And that's he not should, what I'm he should Really, he should acknowledge you. And then that's not what I'm hearing. I'm hearing all kinds of bad stuff that he's saying. Yeah, look, Kevin said shit about Jacques before, too. You know, I've heard those interviews. That's a true statement. Jacques's not making that shit up. Kevin has buried Jacques Rougeau, and he's buried his wrestling school before. Maybe he did always feel that way. I don't know, but he spent four years there. So, I mean, you know, he's, I don't know, he's salty about. Salty about not being able to go work for other people, I guess, is the thing that Jacques had kind of narrowed it down to. Jacques had a policy. Like, you, I don't want you going to get hurt and some other guy's fucking show when you can come work for my show. But uh, I don't know if that's the best policy. I get why he does that. It's, you know, if you're going to run, if you're trying to run it like a business, ideally you would want your assets to be in proper working form and not have to cancel because, oh, some fucking dude twisted his ankle. But at the same time, wrestlers on the independent level need to get the experience everywhere. Not just the experience for the reps, but get the exposure, too. They need to be as many places as possible to make it work the right way. So uh, to each his own, you know, if Jacques wants to run his company like that, especially with the guys he trains, it's not like he's signing talents or anything. He's bringing guys up and saying, hey, you know, I'll train you and you'll work on my shows and big crowds and whatever. But, you know, I don't want you working with other people. So KO has been pretty outspoken about that. He did absolutely take shots at Jacques. And to Jacques' credit here, he's not really talking shit about Kevin. He sounds a little hurt. To be honest, you know, he does say, you know, he should be praising me or respecting me at the very least or putting me over. But is what it is. You know, Jacques Rougeau has always kind of been like a, this weird outsider to the wrestling business to a certain extent. I had his falling out with Vince McMahon. Hasn't really been around it. Hasn't been a fan of it. Hasn't talked too fondly of it. 
at least the mainstream, you know, he he had his his independent wrestling promotion and that sort of thing. I always loved the Mountie. The Mountie was a great character, you know. The the fabulous Rougeau brothers didn't really do much for me. They were just kind of a meh tag team at the time. The Quebecers were a decent little tag team in the the earlier to mid nineties. It was, it was like 93, 94 by the time. It was like, what, 91, 92 that he was the Mountie. 90, 91, 92. I liked the Mountie. He had the shocks stick, and they piped in the zapper noises. The zzz, zzz, zzz. I actually wrote about that in my book, The Gathering, A Bold Journey into the Belly of the Juggalo Underworld. Talked about security using a zapper, and then they piped in electric sound effects for extra <laughs> extra effect or something to the, I don't know what exactly I wrote but you know had to throw in a reference uh, who who where else are you going to get a mounty shock stick fucking electrical noise piped in through the speaker system reference nowhere folks that's a deep cut right there you got to be a goddamn wrestling nerd for that one so I'm I like the Mountie, but uh, interesting to hear what he thinks about the current product these days. Certainly sounds, you know, like he has a respect for his Montreal boys, but he's just a little hurt that they don't maybe have the same respect for him. But what do you guys think? Are you guys old school Mountie fans? You think Kevin Owens is right to kind of bury the Mountie? Like, dude, you fucking... You know, your school sucks, man. You don't even let me go work for other people? Or is Mountie got a point there? I don't need you going to get your fucking elbow broken, dislocated at some fucking indie show somewhere. Some guy's fucking backyard. Let me know your thoughts down in the comments below. Or I will shock you with my shock stick. <laughs> we have an update on the Ric Flair and Dutch Mantel drama. I addressed this last week. Kind of came out of nowhere. Dutch made comments on his show, uh, his podcast, about Ric Flair's last match and how Rick was full of shit. So Ric Flair now is trying to leave a legacy, and he should have left it alone or changed a lot of things in that match because his legacy now is tarnished. I don't know. Uh, Ric Flair's full of shit. It always has been. And, of course, Ric Flair had uh, taken a few shots at Dutch on Twitter. So uh, there's not a lot else to tell. I think this kind of wraps it up here. Um, but I did say last week that, you know, if Rick responds or it'll be interesting to see what Rick has to say on his show, that I would update or, key, or at least cover it in some way, shape or form. So Rick did address the situation, but it appears that he is looking to squash it or maybe that he felt like he overreacted or at the very least, it's just not worth his time. Check out this clip. Well, somebody that, uh, well, I wish the best too, but maybe not you. Is your old pal Dutch Mantel? Boy, it got stirred up this past weekend. I uh, couldn't believe I, I logged into Twitter and I saw a tweet from you about Dutch, and logged into Instagram and saw an Instagram post about Dutch, and even over on Facebook. Man, you went after Dutch on every single platform. I got to catch up. What in the hell happened? I have no idea. What? What? Someone just brought it to my attention that he made a comment 
after the plane ride from hell thing came out, a derogatory comment, and then apparently he's said something that I lied about being in the locker room the night that Brody got stabbed in San Juan, which I was not in the locker room, and I've never said I was. And now this, this damn last match has gotten a lot of attention. And for how many months has it been? Yeah, July. I don't know. I don't know how much more clear I can say. I know that it was terrible, Dutch. The first to admit it, and I know I look like I look terrible, but (laughs) I'm just sorry I ever said anything because I. I, To be the guy's honest truth. The last time I saw Dutch Mantel. We used to talk in catering that when he was there with um swagger managing uh Jake. Um, yeah, and um, he said to me that every time I work with you, Flair or Rick, I remember I have telling you, I need to catch my breath. Yeah, <laughs> and then they come out of nowhere. I don't know, I think. Well, we, we none of us grow old gracefully, but he's just in a place where he just won't. And I, I, I feel bad now that I responded because he got a lot of attention that he, you know, didn't deserve. But I, I was, I'm, I'm the idiot that made the comment back, you know, thinking he would just go away because he's been hitting on me for a while. But it's not worth it. I don't. I, I regret that I even. I regret that I even uh, tweeted that. Because I actually like Dutch Mantel, but I don't like people trying to reiterate something you and I have already admitted no less than five times on this show. Yeah. So we all know it didn't great, but it was successful financially, and we had a big crowd. And and those we, in the building loved it, Rick. I mean, and, we, and we made national news, like you said, on ESPN. And yeah. So a lot of things, a lot of positive things. And the thing about it is nobody that really matters to in me in my life has said one bad thing about it. And that's what the difference is. Right. For him to have an opinion, that's fine. Keep it to yourself. I'm just tired of hearing about it. Well, there you go. That, well, that's, so- it. that's it. I, I could not have nothing bad to say about him. Not gonna not gonna give him any more fuel. Just want it to go away. Yeah, you heard Rick say there that he actually likes Dutch. So, uh, you know, that's why that one kind of came out of nowhere for me. It was like I knew, you know, these guys came from the same era. I'm surprised I never heard that they ever had that kind of heat or whatever. But Rick kind of seemed like he wanted to kind of sweep it under the rug. Uh, Like I said, either just because it's not worth his time or because, he, you know, he actually does like Dutch and just doesn't want to go at Dutch like that, I guess. Um, I had covered it last week that, you know, Dutch, I feel like, you know, he was just stating his opinion and yes, he, you know, he's clapped first. He said it on his show. He took his shot at Rick. He said that he was full of shit, but I feel like, you know, he did it at least in response to a question. And, and I felt like he was being more honest instead of just trying to bury Ric Flair. But I actually, you know what? And, and I was hard on Rick last week that Rick, you know, he's thin skinned and he's bitter and he's always got to 
whatever. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna walk that back just a little bit here and give credit where credit's due that Ric Flair walked it back himself here and that he's like, Yeah, you know, I probably should have just left it alone. I actually like Dutch Mantel. I don't wanna keep and I and even furthermore, I understand where Rick's coming from, where he said, Look, man, we've said it no less than five times on this show that that match sucked. I'll admit it. It sucked. He's not trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes or rip people off. He'll be the first to admit it. And he is thin-skinned. So I get where, you know, when he hears it from everybody else, too, talking about it, hey, that match sucked. Like, yeah, I know. I'm the first one to say it. I've said it five times. Shut the fuck up. So I get that attitude about it. I really do. So, you know, I'll give Rick props where proper ends are due for at least not necessarily apologizing, but walking it back and kind of having, you know, more time to let it stew and kind of digest what was going on. Uh, he still doesn't like that Dutch said it, but he just doesn't want to make a thing of it. So is what it is. So I you know, props to Ric Flair for handling it like that. Or at least, you know, when he addressed it. Because Rick does it on his show all the time. He very easily could have just went on and just continued to bury Dutch Mantel. Oh, who's Dutch Mantel? What has he ever done? Blah, blah, blah. And he did not take that approach. So props to him. There's not a lot else to say about it here. Dutch hasn't said anything else, you know, to his credit. So it's kind of a non-issue at this point. But I'm really only addressing it because Rick did on his show this week. And because I talked about it last week and figured out, you know, at the very least, you guys needed an update. So tucked it here at the end of the show. Uh, let me know your thoughts down in the comments below if you're watching just the clip. I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next. Woo! That's it. That's all we got for you this week. The show is done, my friends. Another late one this week. I've been putting in some overtime. Been dating a little bit, been fucking writing my new book. So, I mean, I'm not just sitting on my ass, but, you know, fuck, man. You know, my apologies if it's coming out a little bit later, you know. But, it, I mean, it's still coming out, and you still get all the clips, and it's just a couple hours difference. So, y'all can fucking just deal with it. I'm doing my best. I'm a one-man show here. Uh, God damn, the editing on these, the thumbnails take longer on this show than anything else it really does i can spend an entire fucking afternoon or evening just working on thumbnails for this goddamn show and then uh you know the editing the recording's the fun part i love recording you know the editing can get a little taxing sometimes <clears throat> tell you what once i make it to the big time and make that fucking money 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 I'm going to have other people do my editing for me. It's like a first. That's what a lot of YouTubers say. You know, that's one of the first things you got to invest in as a YouTuber is a good editor. Somebody that can just kind of take that work out of your hands. Because that's the busy work in this. And I can spend more time doing more videos and that kind of thing. I got all kinds of videos in mind for you. I was watching uh, a video of Buzz Sawyer, of all people, this week. Just some little highlight that popped up on Facebook or whatever, and Buzz Sawyer was fucking just doing his doing this power slam. But it was the goddamnedest power slam I've ever seen in my entire life. So it got me thinking. I want to do a video on like a top ten like 
perfectly executed moves or something to that effect. You know, like guys that take a simple, normal, everyday move that everybody does and just does it next level. Like like the fucking Arn Anderson spine buster. Spoiler alert for you guys here. You know, but that's an example of a, guy, of a move that, you know, you've seen a million spine busters. But when you see an Arn Anderson spine buster, it's a different spine buster. Period. End of story. Same with this Buzz fucking Sawyer uh, power slam. So kind of got inspired to do something around that. I still have lots of other ideas that I do plan on executing. Uh, busy guy. Only one guy. I'm doing the best that I can. Uh, but I appreciate you guys supporting me, hanging out with me, watching every week. I fucking love it. I love you guys. I love doing this. It's a labor of love. Still, you know, not making a dime off of this yet or anything. Working my way up to that 1,000 sub, uh, subscribers so that I can monetize this bitch. And uh, so that's the main goal at this point. But right now I'm just grinding, doing it because I fucking love it. I love doing this show. It's fun to talk wrestling and there's never a shortage, even on the slow weeks. It gives me something new to talk about in wrestling every single week, you know. Uh, even on the day that I'm recording this, this interview of Mercedes comes out and she just fucking there's some great little gems in there. You know, I just I love it. It inspires me. It gives me something to talk about. Gives me something to go rant about. Um, and that's it's very fun for me. I could talk wrestling literally all day long. It's just I'm the biggest fucking wrestling nerd. I love it. Love talking about it, analyzing it fucking theorizing about it you know uh it's just i love it so much and i appreciate you guys for hanging out watching with me and i do apologize for any of you that are upset if you're getting this later than you're used to getting it or whatever um but you know just bear with me I'm trying to adjust juggle it all work life socializing podcast work fun book new book new book man let me tell you something brother let me tell you something brother writing a book is no fucking joke okay writing a book takes god damn work it's hard you know everybody's got a fun little story idea but when you sit down and you write that book and you know the the whole first rough draft is like that's just you just journaling that's just writing shit you're just blah 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 then you got to take that and you got to make a story out of that that makes sense and you got to do it a long form book like a whole fucking novel jesus christ so uh it's a big undertaking but i love that that's you know my first passion in life is writing and uh, well wrestling is my first passion <laughs> ever since i was a little kid i was a wrestling fan but writing maybe my second passion then love to write um, even, you know, my rapper background when I was a rapper, it was because I was a writer first writing songs. I was a songwriter more than I was a rapper. I started in a rap group with somebody. I know we're going long here. It doesn't fucking matter. Um, I started out with a guy in high school that was like the rapper kid in high school and I clicked up with him and we started a rap group and I was a writer. So I learned to rap under him. But and he was like the flow guy, you know, and I was the wordsmith. I could put a pen to paper like nobody's fucking business and tie some fucking words together. So I love doing that. But it eats up a lot of my time. It really does. So a lot of the time that I could, you know, be spending working on more stuff for this show, you know, I got to learn how to juggle that because 
because I have many passions and many things that I want to get out there. So all of that to say, I just appreciate you guys hanging with me and just being here with me. I know my little endies. I always talk about it. You guys are my endies. If you're even listening to my voice right now still, you know, you've made it long past all the clips and everything. And like the only thing to give a fuck about now is that you just like me as a host and care what I got going on. So that's why I save it to the end. And I kind of rant sometimes. So uh, I'll leave it there. Uh, Peace, love, and pizza. I hope you guys have a great day. I hope you guys are doing well. I love you. Thank you for hanging out. Peace, love, and pizza. I am your host, Seth Grimes. And this has been the Pro Wrestling Podcast. God, I was holding that in for so long. I was hoping to make it through the end without having to cough. And I was going to cough and die at the end. <coughs> Get that dry throat. Feel the cough coming on. It's one of the hard things about podcasting. You got to try to hold your vocals together. Juggalos. I fucking hate them. I say all this with a grain of salt because for a good part of my own life, I proudly identified as a Juggalo. You should come to the gathering with me. Nah, man. I'm I'm not into all that whoop whoop shit anymore. I'll pay for your ticket. I got fired today. Get the fuck out! Still got room for me? Spike, slow the fuck down! Cops! Fuck your sleep! Fuck your sleep! Fuck your sleep! The savages started closing in with their tiki torches and war paint. Shit! Run! You guys got a dead body here already? Even the aliens were throwing shade. It was pure panic and intense horror. There was a guy I saw got chopped in half. I had nothing left to go back to. You alive? <sighs> yep. The Gathering. A bold journey into the belly of the Juggalo underworld.